On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got the absolute pleasure of talking to Blake Pinsker, the former CMO at Movement Watches. He was there in 2013, right after they did their Kickstarter, and he was with them the entire way up until about a month ago. What an incredible story uh, to see a brand grow from essentially nothing um, up into the high, high eight figures, if not, I think they're almost in uh, at nine figures. It's uh, a story and a brand um, that I've watched for a long time and seen uh, what they've done. They were really there at the birth of um, Facebook marketing. And uh, we talked what it takes um, to grow brands. And uh, Blake is in the place now where he wants to grow another brand or two um, like he did with Movement. Um, you guys are going to absolutely love this one. Tune in, grab a pen, grab a paper, and um, and really learn from Blake. Uh, he is an absolute gem. Before we begin, we wanted to let you know some really exciting news and something that we've never talked about before in the podcast. Our team at Mindful Marketing is growing, and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. Now, on to today's episode. All right, I am live with Blake Pinsker, uh, formerly from Movement and now from an agency called Us Versus Them. What a story, Blake. I'm so <laughs> pumped to have you on here. Um, I feel like we could have talked for you know half an hour before this interview, but we, we both yeah. you know, have time crunches. So um, tell us a little bit about who you are and a bit of your backstory. Sure. So I uh, grew up in a suburban neighborhood, Southern California. I was kind of on the the poor side of the track. So where my family never really handed things over to me. And I, I would look at what a lot of kids in my school, my neighborhood would have and always wondered why my family didn't have those things. And so as, at a young age, I became obsessed with making sure my family didn't live like that ever again. Mm. And that put me on this pursuit, uh, sleepless nights, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And around that time, uh, my good friend, Jake Casson, who founded Movement, was looking for his first marketing hire. And he knew I went to college for marketing and uh, also was a young guy who was willing to take uh, close to nothing to find work or to, yeah. to, to work on something new. And so I, I saw the success of Movement's Kickstarter and also just saw that it could be a potential out. Um, and I, it was at that stage, it was a dream. Cause what, Movement what year was, was this like? That was 20, I think he probably reached out like at the end of 2013, maybe oh, okay. 2014. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, so fresh off the start, I saw his success with the Kickstarter. And Jake and I, we went to grade school together. Oh, okay, and cool. We, we weren't great friends, but we'd always talk business. Yeah. He was an entrepreneur in high school. I love business. And so we would always shoot the shit. And I always would call him trying to learn. And so even after the Kickstarter... I was in Jake's ear trying to learn everything he knew I wanted to know. Yeah. And so when, when he was ready to hire someone for marketing, I was one of the first people to come to mind because again, cause I didn't have a ton of experience besides a few jobs in college, but I was young, hungry and willing to work for uh, close to nothing. So yeah. <laughs> he, he brought, he brought me on at that stage uh, and timing is everything, you know, right place, right time. 
I got to take over all the social media accounts and grow with the business, eventually take over email marketing, e-com strategy, yeah. uh, Facebook ads, influencer marketing, content strategy. I got to build the brand identity. And you know, I credit Jake as a young CEO. He's incredible at trusting other people. And again, right place, right time. Yeah. Being in a company that was on the precipice of the growth that you know you now see with movement. Um, oops, turn my phone off. It's one of those. No, no problem. Hey, this is this home. is all part of uh, <laughs> you know, the live podcast experience. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> that's what you get from these Zoom calls, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Long story short, uh, you know, we we all saw the opportunity at hand early at movement, and we saw what was happening with Facebook ads, and we saw that we could spend five dollars on ads and you know at that point cpms are five dollars and you know we, yeah. we start to see orders come through and you're like wait we just got five orders for five bucks this is <laughs> this is insane like how far do we eh? take this <laughs> right and then you know we test influencer marketing we give someone a free watch and they at that point people were down to post for free we sell 200 orders from a giving someone a free watch yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. meanwhile we're, we're building the instagram and we're building the brand and i think where we we didn't realize what we were doing at that stage, but what really made us great and what I'm now trying to do, we'll get into the agency I've started, but the balance of brand and performance marketing, we're really living in a performance world today, but you can't underestimate the power of brand. Totally. And yeah. I think when you, yeah, when you have both of those playing at, at the highest level, that's when you're unbeatable. Because what brand is meant to do is not sell right away, but to create an emotional connection with customers that are not only going to keep them coming back, but telling all their friends. Mm. And you can't always track that. I can't track the emotion you feel after seeing a video and then you're inspired. I can't also track that you said no to a competitor. I can't, I can't really track that. I mm. can track if you come back and I, you know, the last click attribution on that. And so, but that we all know that's how we shop. We know totally. we have, yeah, we know we buy products that are a lot of times more expensive than competitors. A prime example, I'm, I'm talking to you on my iPhone. I know for years, the Google camera has been better than iPhone, but I, I won't switch off my iPhone. No, I know there's, there's better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's better performance shoes than uh, the Nikes I wear, but I'm going to keep buying my Nikes. And so brand is that long-term game to get you to that point. And you get to, a stage with performance marketing where you hit a glass ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, all the, all the, the cheap impressions and the, the easy sales you get by impulse buys from a Facebook ad, they start to dry up. And so that's where brand comes into play because you need all those people who did buy from a Facebook ad to now go tell all their friends. So you're getting word of mouth working in your favor And so that's why I think both are incredibly important, uh, but we're living in a beautiful time right now because if it wasn't for performance marketing and, and Facebook ads, uh, we would not be able to have the success that we did at movement, totally. being able to track every dollar that we spent and being able to scale our acquisition channels. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful thing and it's still a new thing in the world of marketing. And so uh, it's, it's a really cool time to be in this space. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so true. Uh, interesting. I actually, I, I saw a post from Dave Gerhardt uh, this morning from now Privy. 
Uh, and uh, that's exactly what Dave was talking about um, in this post. I actually, I liked it so much, I shared it. <laughs> um, because I just thought it's just so powerful. I, like for us, you know, at our agency, we are like, like essentially just a performance agency for e-com stores, right? But there is so much more that the brands that we work with need to do to actually create those repeat sort of cycles. Um, and, and like you said, for them to actually have that, that word of mouth, um, without a brand, like you're just a, you might as well just be a drop shipper, right? Like if, yeah, in yeah. my opinion, like, well, it, it, you can have a ton of success all in on performance and, and to be frank, uh, during the COVID environment, I don't blame brands for only spending on performance. Yeah. That's like, we're, we're in a, a kind of an uncertain time right now. And that usually takes away budget for brand as and as long as you have the long-term mindset, or maybe you don't, um, I think that's okay. What's interesting to me is, is performance created is actually easy. Um, media buying should not be too complicated once you understand it and you understand really how to track and test at a high level fast and efficiently. And a lot of agencies I think are getting away with overcharging for underperformance because as a brand, you don't know what you don't know and mm -hmm. you only have one data set to look at. Uh, but once you understand everything holistically and like what's performing for other brands, there's a formula to everything you do. There's a formula to how you set up ads manager and, and, and the different ways you could try to, try to find new wins and little pockets of money. There's okay. a formula to the way you produce creative brand is a lot harder because you're, you're creating these narratives and these mini campaigns and these stories from scratch and having it fall within line of the brand identity. So um, the performance stuff, like I see that as clockwork. It's, yeah. there's yeah, best I mean, practices. You have to be doing performance. Like, like exactly. in this day and age, you can't not be doing your performance marketing. Exactly. Performance pays for brand. And yeah. once, once performance is in place and you have people in your store, as Jake from movement likes to say, he's like, you got to get people in your store. Yeah, so he used to have a retail space, his previous business. Oh, okay, okay. Took him out of business. So once he, he always says driving traffic to your site is like getting people in your store if you had a re retail space. Yeah. And the best, most efficient way to do that is acquisition. And so performance channels and understanding those. You can't, you can't afford brand spend really unless you have investment until you get those ducks in order. But once yeah. you have all that figured out, uh, long-term, if you, if you really want to build something massive and something that's unstoppable and something that is somewhat immune to competition, that's where brand comes into play. Otherwise, that person who clicked on your Facebook ad and, and converted because maybe they, they got the best price or they haven't seen other competitors in the space, they're going to, be, they're going to lack loyalty when they see something that is a better price or a product that's better or another Facebook ad that is done better than yours. But if they're loyal to the brand, none of that matters. Totally. They're not, they're not leaving you. So that's why I think both they, they go hand in hand, completely different approaches, different strategies. But a lot of people argue one or the other. You could really argue why both are very important. And so yeah. I think that's, that's an important principle. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's great. Really super, super good advice. I appreciate that. Um, and, and I know that our, our listeners are going to love that. Uh, question for you. So you started in, in around 2013 with mm -hmm. movement. Let's talk about what, what's changed since then. 
like from from the sort of tactics and strategies you were using at the beginning till when you left like just recently left the company what sorry what's... I, I just turned my i just turned my fan on can you repeat that yeah, yeah no problem <laughs> sorry what, talk, get on you from from 2013 till now what what was the strategic change for you guys to grow that company into what it has what it is now like like how how did you guys get to that sort of level cuz th- that's a level that i don't think that um, a lot of our listeners will get to i don't know if i'll in my businesses will ever get to that sort of level um, it's yeah. very very aspirational how did that come to be from the marketing side yeah i, I would look at it three ways uh, first and foremost we started at an incredible time in Facebook advertising history where CPMs were, were dirt cheap yeah. and it allowed us to build our audiences in our, in our customer file very quickly for cheap. But we were, the most important thing was we were dumping everything we made right back into the business, which is a hard thing to do when you start making some money as an entrepreneur, depending on where you're at in life, you want to start living a better life than you might be living. Uh, We sacrificed a lot short term um, to reinvest in in the business. And that was always the mindset. I was like, okay, we, you know, we just, we did it. You know, we made a year two, I think we did 7 million. How do we take what we profited, dump it back into the business and next year, four X that. And we, we made 30 million that third year, mm-hmm. which is um, it's just so hard, right? Cause you're like, you know, like say you're profitable at about 20%. There's 1.4 million in that, that other year. That's like, Oh, Hey dude, let's each let's, let's all take some money out and, and right. do some stuff. But if you would have, you couldn't have grown to that next level. Right. And, and we weren't willing to lose. You know, we, we spend big on a post with Kylie Jenner. We send thousands of watches out to, in micro influencers to influencers and we build the process to do that at scale. Yeah. We was that like an in house uh, sort of thing that you guys were doing? Like did you guys have a team doing that? With we them? did, yeah. We built it all we built it all in house. Yeah. Uh, then you know it was all like it was pretty wonky at first in yeah. <laughs> using Excel and just building our home. We used to do these massive um Ethan who's who's actually now at cuts. He's the man. Oh uh, I, I uh, ma- you know Ethan? No, but I, I uh, interviewed Steven. Oh, okay. Bro. Steven's yeah Steven's Steven's actually my good friend from college. Oh, he is. Oh, Steven was, yeah. Just, what a pleasure to have that guy. Like what he's is, what a mind, hey? Yeah. Yeah. He's the man. Yeah. Uh, That's hilarious. So, I, I talked all with him about their micro influencer strategy and I just couldn't even believe it. But this you're saying is Ethan's strategy. Uh, well, Ethan, Ethan started, I mean, he, I'm not a hundred percent sure what was said on that call. Ethan, who's, who's basically like their head of, he's a director of marketing now and overseas influencer at, at movement, he used to do these massive Shopify exports where we'd aggregate all the data and we, we would run it like we ran Facebook ads. It's not as easy as Facebook ads because on Facebook, you could turn the dial, you increase and decrease budgets, yeah. turn stuff off that's not working. And influencer marketing, we, we tried to streamline it as much as possible. The, the deal flow phase, sending out product um, and then tracking everything so we could scale it like an acquisition channel. But we, we weren't scared to spend and I think a lot of people, you know, whether it's creative for ads or influencer marketing, we were willing to lose and we would spend a ton of money on stuff that didn't work, but we all had faith that the stuff that did work would pay for it yeah. 10 X. 
Yeah. And that, that proved to be successful. And I think that's really where there's a lot of talk about how Facebook ads is just this magic machine or influencer marketing. It works. And I think the real strategy and expertise comes from being able to do that all well and finding those wins for influencer marketing, finding the diamonds in the rough, mm. being able to track what someone is, is um, returning on your spend and then being able to continue to scale down that vertical Facebook ads, finding creative that works and iterating it off it. And like, okay, this ad's probably going to churn in four weeks. How do we have another video or, or photo to take its place? And, and, you know, we had thousands of different pieces of creative being tested at all times. Wow. Um, it, we started with a small team. We started out outsourcing a lot of what we were doing, but eventually we brought most of it in house. Influencer marketing was always in house. Yeah. Uh, but Facebook ads, you know, we used to outsource, brought it in house. We have an amazing team or we, I was part of an amazing team at movement. Um, and so, it, you know, you got to be willing to bet on yourself. And if you're good enough at it, which not everybody is, or your agency's good enough at it, at it yeah. and, and you have a good product and there's demand in the market for your product, then it'll work. Uh, the, the hard part is you have to take a lot of big risks because you, you might make a ton of money. And if you want to make more, then you got to reinvest it into the business mm-hmm. and be willing to lose that bet. Hmm. Yeah. What's one thing that you wish you didn't do? Like what, what was one massive flop you can think of in the past seven years? <laughs> There were some really big influencer posts that I think became more of a, an ego thing versus like we, we were trying to prove to ourselves those first few years that it, we were legit. Yeah. 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 None totally. of us had a ton of experience. No one gave us credit. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were somewhat laughed at in the watch world. Like who are these guys doing Facebook ads and Facebook ads at that time had this stigma. Uh, one that they were cheesy and they, they, diminish the brand value. Okay. There was a lot of legacy brands who would not use Facebook ads because they felt like it cheapened the brand. <laughs> Can you imagine that now? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone, exactly. no one's saying that right. now. <laughs> now they're be- now all those legacy brands are, are either buying the D2C digital, uh, digitally, digitally native brands or yeah. they're Hey guys, just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply to start the process today. Now, back to today's episode. And so at that early stage, I think we did some things that, like the Kylie post, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a great experience. Honestly, doing that negotiation was such a pain in the ass. Were you negotiating? What? Were were you? Did you do that negotiation, or was that one of your team members? Uh, my it was a it was a committee. Uh, my okay. so someone from our team was the one like point of contact. I oversaw all the influencer marketing at movement at that stage. So I was doing a lot of like when when they needed to bring me in to kind of like play hardball. Um, but we we were really willing to meet them at that price. The problem was 
there was just so many little things they did that were just like a stab in the gut. Like they posted one of our biggest competitors a week before our post for, and the, the price we're paying at, like, why would you do that? Like, that's no. not good business. And so we still had opportunity. And then she, you know, we sent a, we got a photo. The photo was horrible. It wasn't the, the brief and the inspo we gave them was nothing like that. Um, and, and there was a lot of red flags where we could have said like, you know what, let's, let's pull out. This might not be a good deal, yeah. but we thought that would be part of what would put us on the map. Um, and I think what we learned was that there's not this one colossal, very rarely, I'd say 98% of the time, there's not this one colossal moment that puts you on the map. It's a series of little moments that helps build your brand and, and your business. And so that was a big learning lesson was like, Hey, we wanted to do these things to like prove that we were legit. Um, but I think they were, they were, they weren't all necessary. And if we reallocated that budget elsewhere, would we have gotten more out of it perhaps? Yeah. Uh, but it was an incredible learning experience. And that, that's just one example. Hmm. That's a great example. Thanks. <laughs> Cause I think that some people do think that there is going to be that moment. There's going to be like that sil- silver bullet sort of moment. Like, Hey, that when we did this, this is when we saw this massive change. Right. And I I'm with you. I think that it's a lot right. of it's doing a lot of little things and it's being consistent and it's always being in front of people. One thing that I preach and I wish that, uh, I wish that we were out doing, you know, talking gigs and stuff. Cause I feel like my new like thing is frequency. Like people will say, oh, turn off ads at, at a frequency of like two or something. I, I don't know. I hear these people talking about this stuff. My, our best accounts, the, my, my, our brand as well, we have frequencies in our warm traffic of like 20. And we on that warm traffic, we have like return on ad spends of like 25. I think getting in front of people as much as you can is still incredibly um, powerful. It's just an incredibly powerful way to do it. Not, and I'm not saying all paid. It doesn't all have to be. Yeah. I think earned is, is another way to do it and, and influencer marketing is another way to do it. But getting in front of those people as much as you can, because it takes, it, it takes way more touch points, I think, now comparatively to like 2013 when you guys started, right? To, to get people to make that, those purchases. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's more abundance in the industry. There's more saturation in the Facebook and Instagram ecosystem that's also why creative is the mousetrap and that's the greatest variable because in a world where your creative used to be average to subpar and you can still make a shit ton of money and see great returns. If your creative doesn't follow best practices, you're not iterating on performance and getting better and better. Uh, you're going to have a tough time. And so creative is, is the greatest variable more so than ever just because of how, competitive it is yeah awesome awesome stuff um tell me what are you up to now sure so i decided in february that my time at movement was coming to an end and at movement is my family still close with a lot of the people there thanks to them i have a lot of different avenues i could go down but one of the things that had been keeping me up at night or two of the things was one, I needed to use my powers to solve some worldly problems that we weren't solving by selling watches. And it was a great business, incredible learning experience. You know, the problem we were really trying to solve was uh, 
that style shouldn't break the bank. And we were going to offer a really nice looking watch for a lower cost than anyone, almost anyone on the market. Uh, but I feel like there, you know, there's so many things in this world that I wanted to have a bigger impact on. And I, I you know, I realized that, you know, movement, one of my things I wanted to make sure I did before I left was make sure movement was moving, moving in a sustainable direction. And so, uh, you know, the team really was got on board. We moved to sustainable packaging, which we'll have by the end of this year. Movement will have by the end of this year. Um, we're going to be partnering with 1% for the planet. And mm -hmm. I decided a lot of what I want to do next is think about like what kind of products or services or technology that I could come out with that can um, solve some of these world problems, global warming, um, or some of the some of the other stuff we see in the news all the time that I historically would point the finger at the government mm. and say, hey, the, you know, the beach is an absolute mess. Why is the city not doing anything about it? I, I go swimming in the ocean and plastic hits me in the face. And the more I thought about it was uh, the more I realized that, like, it, that's my responsibility. If, mm. I, if I'm going to be running corporations and be a part of corporations, then I should have a hand in that. And so I really want to focus on building a business that can also contribute to a better world in the future. Um, and so, you know, I'm walk, I'm working on a few products in that realm. Cool. Meanwhile, uh, which we spoke on, spoke of earlier, uh, my baby right now is us versus them, which is a, a marketing agency built on brand and performance marketing in this COVID environment. Say 90% of what we're doing is on the performance side, creative and media buying, yeah, uh, but Brent, my my partner Jeremiah Davis, who is a uh, he's a creative director for the Chain Smokers, and did a ton of movements campaigns, including our last commercial. Cool. Um, he he's like the production mind. I'm more so the strategy mind. Um, and so that's that's the in between is like let's build this agency. There's a ton of demand in the market for creative and strategy work, but there's not a lot of supply. Um, in, in, you know even you know, the fact that you're on this call and you have your own agency, that's not a threat to me because there's enough yeah. to go around. Yeah. 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 There's, 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 there's enough work. Yeah, out there. <laughs> there's plenty of work to go around and people need help. There's good products and good services that don't see the light of day or don't find success because they don't know how to get it out to the masses. And so digital marketing is, is the tool to do that. It's, it's really my obsession. Um, and so I, I really want to leverage the agency for, some of these ideas that can help solve worldly problems down the road. Uh, mm -hmm. In the meantime, uh, we're, we're really trying to find a few cornerstone clients, um, keep it pretty boutique and produce uh, content and, and strategy at a high level. Cool. That's super cool. Like I got to ask you the question I ask everybody here. What is your secret to scaling? I, I think I talked about it a lot, but it's, you know, in this day and age, I really think it's the balance of brand and performance marketing. Each of those can be broken down, broken down into multiple facets, but scaling is all about finding new layers and getting above that glass ceiling time and time again. And each time you go up a notch, there's going to be stop, something stopping you from getting to that next notch. And so like, here, here's an example. I figure out, I start a business today with you. Me and Jordan start a business. Yeah, we're doing it. We start with Facebook ads because it's the, it's the easiest thing to budget and, and find a quick return on today, depending on your service. But yeah, most people, like so we start with Facebook ads. Okay. We hit scale on Facebook. What's next. Let's start doing some influencer marketing. Maybe we find some scale there. 
Google ads, we find some scale there. So now we're up three notches. How do we now scale? Shit, maybe we need to start building out our, our email marketing strategy. There's another notch. You yeah. could do this all simultaneously, but it brings you up each notch. Yeah. And I like to look at those layers one at a time. And then the next notch is like, shit, people aren't coming back and buying our product again. How do we improve our retention rate? Okay, we need to start spending a little bit more on brand marketing. How do we build a deeper connection with our customers? How do we get them to come back and buy? Okay, now we did that. What's next? Let's start a referral program. So people start talking about this to their friends and they're incentivized to tell their friends, boom, boom, now we're up here. And yeah. so that's, <laughs> I hope that was like a, a good example of um, the way I see scaling and each of those can be broken or categorized as brand or performance. Um, but to continue to scale up, I think, you know, performance is the quickest way to see returns when you're, you're bootstrapping, but eventually you're going to get to a notch where you're doing all the performance shit and you're looking for scale and you're hitting diminishing returns. The more you spend on these channels, how do you do it? And that's brand. And that's, that's when you become a household name and, um, you know, you're up there in a, a elite class with some of the brands we all know and love, like Nike, Apple. Today, Gymshark is is proving to be a brand like that for uh, for women's fashion. Revolve, mm. um, you know, they they crush it, um, and it's no secret why they have gotten where they're at. And I think that's a prime example of like when brand marketing works, it trumps everything. It's just a lot harder and a yeah. <laughs> You just, you, just can't start, you just can't start that way. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, unless yeah. you have tons of money, right? If you have backers and, and you just happen to be like a millionaire before you come into a business, sweet. But if not, I'm, I'm with you. I love that, that ladder. That's great. Yeah. Like when everyone's got their needs, I think it's important for you to know, like, what is that next notch? What is the, the low hanging fruit to get you to that next notch? And yeah. if you're working with an agency or an in-house team, you kind of need to describe those layers and say, Hey, we're in this phase right now. We need to focus on performance so we can then afford what's going to cost us a lot in these next phases. Yeah. Um, because as you, as you scale on channels, finding new ones gets more and more expensive. So that's, that's part of the process. Awesome stuff. Hey, we're going to move on to our lightning round. We're kind of uh, almost out of time here. Uh, what's your favorite tool or app you're using right now, Blake? Let me think about that. Um, from a business perspective, I thought Attentive Mobile was amazing for SMS. Saw a lot of success with them personally. That is, a, I, I use Evernote every day, all day. Yeah. I yeah, have, would have to, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm a big PostScript fan. Um, I, I, I've heard so many people like talk how much about how much they love Attentive. Um, kind of wish I, I, maybe I should try it out sometime. Maybe I'll try it with a client. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were great, great, great help and service. Um, and we saw great success, really had no issues with the technology. Um, obviously, Facebook and Instagram because they pay my bills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, a huge geek, Shopify fan, super fan. Um, what would and this then, be without Shopify? Like, who would have, who would have been that? Like, because no one else is even close. I, what I, am I, yeah, I, like no one. I love, the, the, love this. Right. Yeah. My ne- actually, my next rec- uh, favorite apps have been like the stock trading apps through this COVID time. I've gotten oh, super yeah. into, I wake up early in the morning when Wall Street wakes up, it's overpriced, it's at all time high. What you just said is the reason why I don't think you're too late. Um, and I'm not giving investment advice. This is me personally. I think that Shopify is a monopoly and until anyone is ready to knock them off and e-commerce on its 
trajectory, its growth curve starts to, to go like this, who's yeah. there? It's yeah, who else is even close? So, right. So, and it's a Canadian company, so just <laughs> there you go. Canadian. There you go. <laughs> right. I trust. I trust Canadians way more than Americans, and I'm American, so there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, favorite podcast. Great question. I, I've been a huge fan of Joe Rogan. I just love how net, we were watching the Post Malone interview. We're like two hours in. He didn't ask him one question about his music. Wow. And wow. That's, in, that's incredible because we haven't talked about it. I, I do a podcast as well. Oh, awesome. I, and you, you, you've done a great job. This has been a great interview. But I know how hard it is. And I, I would put a ton of preparation into my episodes, making sure I did my research, making sure I knew the guest. Yeah. making sure I had questions I wanted to ask. You know, I would be pissed if I, would, I didn't ask all the right questions. Joe Rogan doesn't give a shit. No, no. He has no agenda. He goes into, if he doesn't ask Post Malone one question about his music or about his rise to stardom, he doesn't give a shit. And that is almost like the, my weakness is yeah. caring too much. And Joe's so natural and so good at what he does incredible podcast he's got so many different types of guests on there i i i've obviously grown up in this e-com world listening a lot to like tim ferris gary v um I, I honestly stopped listening a lot to podcasts um because I, I just got i got to the point with work where i i, I haven't had the hour in the day and i'm not driving anymore yeah yeah and i used to it. yeah so i used to listen a lot while i was driving commuting and I haven't been really driving anywhere. And so I got to find wh how it's going to fit back into my day now that I'm not doing a ton of commuting. Because I, I love that. I, I'm a reader. I yeah. either read books, audible, audio uh, books, or listen to podcasts. That's how I learn. And so I need to figure out where I'm going to fit podcasts back in, in this new uh, work from home world. Totally. It's a different world now. We, we actually, we, yeah. saw, we saw at first our podcast ratings, sorry, not ratings, but listens dipped substantially at the beginning of COVID. And have now skyrocketed past, but I was like, oh no, is this the new world we're living in where people aren't commuting and like, <laughs> no one's listening anymore? Right. I think well, everyone was so everyone scared. Was. They didn't want to, everyone was watching the news and everyone was just holding on for dear life those first few weeks. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question. Favorite, uh, favorite founder. Got to give some love to my boy, Jake. Jake is an incredible giver and an incredible e-commerce mind. He's taught me so much about myself, about leadership, about learning how to trust others and delegate to a team, mm. as well as uh, you know how to spend money to make money. Um, really being able to learn under him has, has been an incredible, uh, just an incredible, I'm incredibly grateful for that experience. Yeah. I got to give some love to Jake. Uh, my my super fan entrepreneurs are Elon Musk. I love Zuckerberg. Um, I love Bezos too. I give all you know. Uh, excuse me. I give all those guys credit because they give a get, get a ton of shit for being evil. Yeah, because they grew their company so big. <laughs> yeah, I get it. They they they're rich as hell. Yeah, and it kind of pisses you off because you're not that rich. But here's the thing. Those guys have made more millionaires, arguably, than own almost anybody in history. Yeah, think, think Facebook, like Zuckerberg. Right? How many millionaires has he made? Yeah, I mean, you and I right. would not be having this conversation if it wasn't for him. Zuckerberg, Bezos, the fact that I could go start my Amazon store and make a million dollars next year if I do it well. Yeah. And that's a marketplace. I control that. 
They take a little cut, but I wouldn't be able to do that without Bezos. I wouldn't be able to start a Shopify store without Shopify. And it's, it's power to the people. And I've been fortunate enough to be one of those people who got lucky and benefited from this technology being available. Yeah. We, me and my team at movement, we were all broke college kids. We started a company from dirt, you know, the dirt that, that doesn't happen. And that's why growing up, I didn't think me owning a business was realistic for a long, long time because the barrier to entry was way too high. Now it's not. And once you learn that it's not, thanks to these companies, um, you start to look at it in a different way. We're like, yeah, these guys are rich as hell, but they're also making a lot of rich people who would have never been rich. It's not at all about being rich, um, but I do think they've just opened up this whole new world of of commerce. And um, hey, we got bought out by a a legacy brand that, that has been a publicly traded company, you know, 500 plus employees. And the fact that they bought us because we have a skill set that was a value to them, that would not be possible because you had, you had those legacy brands that would be legacy brands forever. And to take one of them out, you need a ton of money in distribution and that you don't have to build a business like that anymore. And so it really just levels the playing field. And so I, Yes, the wealth gap is insane uh, when you look at their wealth, but they still have given a ton of opportunity. You look at a guy like Elon Musk, the problems he solved with Tesla. Yeah, he's he's erratic. He's hilarious on Twitter, <laughs> but <laughs> the guy is going to help decrease pollution across the world. Tesla is, is a technology that none of the car companies, automobile companies probably would have ever gotten to, at yeah. least in the next... Yeah. It might've been a hundred years before they got to that. And so the fact that he was able to innovate and it's a million times better for environment. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the guy comes out with an electric plane yeah. in our lifetime. Yeah, totally. Incredible. And so that, that I appreciate. Yeah. Blake, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Uh, where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Instagram at Blake Pinsker. Uh, last name is spelled Instagram's B-L-A-K-E-P-I-N-S-K-E-R. You can pretty much find out anything there. You can find out... um, LinkedIn, too? LinkedIn, LinkedIn. yeah. uh, LinkedIn slash Blake Pinsker, first name, last name on everything. Uh, Our agency site is uvtagency.com if you want to see some of our work. Cool. Other than that, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on DM. I'm pretty responsive. And uh, Jordan, this is an awesome interview. I appreciate the time, my man. Man, so, so appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.